greatest struggles, their greatest problems, their greatest successes, then you really don't love your neighbor as yourself because you know all those things about yourself. And so we talked about this guy that came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, what is the greatest thing I can do with my life? If I'm going to get one thing out of this scripture, what should I get out of the scripture? And Jesus said, that's easy. I can give you not one, I can give you the top two things you should do with your life. Number one is love God. Jesus said, number two is love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself is that key thing. This is a big deal. It's not a throwaway statement. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. Last week we talked about the good Samaritan, and we talked about how he reached out to this guy who was in trouble, and the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. And so we talked about him. This week, we're going to talk not just about love your neighbor, but love your neighborhood. And so I want you to be aware. You can't love your neighbors until you be aware of something. Watch this video, right? You got it? This is Salvador's um, music video called Make Me Aware. love that song because it kind of encapsulates um, who we are and what we are as Christians. Make me aware, make me see that everything I am is not all about me. And then, you know, they put that little picture together at the end. No matter where I go, what I do, if I'm a Christ follower, then, then my life should, should represent Jesus Christ. There's this mosaic. All the things that I do in life, I should be a, a representative of Jesus Christ. So we're going to take this real seriously, this idea of loving your neighborhood. And we're going to talk about that today. I want you to see a verse from Jeremiah 29.7. Do I sound like I'm in a barrel? I sound like I'm in a barrel up here. Um, okay. I don't know what that is. Um, Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. There were two times in history that the nation of Israel was taken into captivity in another country. One was when they went to Egypt. That's the whole Moses story. They were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. This time, hundreds of years later, the Israelites have turned their back on God once again. And God allows Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, but back then it's called Babylon. Babylon comes in, completely destroys the country, um, and takes almost the entire population back to Babylon with them into captivity. They are slaves. They are conquered because they turned their backs on God. God allowed them to be conquered. So Babylon, you have to understand, at that time, this was the foremost city in the world. It is um, New York City. It is London. It's Paris. It's Tokyo. It's all of these things combined into one. It is the foremost city of the time. The Jews hated being there because they were controlled by the hated Gentiles. And God says, not only do you need to be there... You need to pray for the city because if the city succeeds, you will succeed too. So here's what I was thinking. If thousands of years ago, God told the Israelites that they need to pray for the city, even though they were taken there by force, how much more do you think God wants us to pray for the city we live in that we chose to live in? Do you think he wants us to pray for Palestine? And I know some of you are teenagers going, I didn't choose to live here. That's all right. God put you here for a reason. He didn't mess up when you were born in Palestine. God put you here. And God says, if you pray for the city, if the city prospers, you will prosper too. So with this in mind, I want to talk about in this, this fall. You know, several of you have been here for many years, and we've done some Be the Church things. We went to Eula's house a few years ago, um, went all over the neighborhood mowing lawns and doing all kinds of stuff. Last year, we went out to Greens Park, and we beautified Greens Park. Well, this year, we're going to do something called Love My neighborhood weekend. 
and we hadn't even put this on the calendar yet. If you are interested in helping us plan for this, um, Wednesday, August 28th, 6.30 p.m., that's our regular board meeting, but we're going to add on to our board meeting that night. Anybody who wants to help us plan for the Love Your Neighborhood weekend, we're going to talk about that. Basically, we're just going to ask you to get together with your small group and go out and do some projects in your neighborhood, some community service projects. We have some things at the back. Uh, Dwayne's going to pass these out called Talk It Over Sheets. And you can, if you want to dig deeper into this, all of the scriptures are going to be on here. And then there's some suggestions of what you can do. Um, just a couple of quick suggestions about how you can reach out to your neighbors. Basically, we want you to get to know your neighbors. So if you've known them for a long time, you go over and you say, hey, Bob, um, I've known you for a long time. My, my church is going to do this thing where we're just helping out the neighborhood. Is there something we can do at your house? Uh, you know, if it's late enough, we may say, hey, you want us to help you hang Christmas lights? And man, that would be a service of love because I can't even stand hanging my own Christmas lights. So if I go help somebody else, you know it's love. You know Jesus has kicked me in the rear. Or you say, hey, uh, Joe, do you need your garage cleaned out? We'll come help you. You just basically say to them, what do you need? Need help painting the house? Need help cleaning up your backyard? Whatever it is you need, we want to come help you. On that weekend, I want to see at least 100 new lifers giving to their community half a day. You can do it on Saturday, you can do it on Sunday. Four hours, either from 1 to 5 on Saturday or 1 to 5 on Sunday that weekend. I want to see at least 400 hours given in community service through New Life to say to our community, we're not just going to talk about loving you, we're going to show you that we love you. That's a ministry that we want to have. And so we want to be a do-something church. Too many churches don't do anything outside their walls, and we don't want to do that. And I think that the reason people ask some serious questions in our world is because churches aren't doing anything in our world. Have you ever heard the question, if there's a God, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Anybody heard that one? That's one of the number one questions I get. And and you may not know this, God's asking the same question. God's saying, I've given my kingdom, my church, my bride, my body, enough love, enough comfort to shower the whole world with my love. Why are my people not doing anything? People say, well, if there's a God, how come there's so many people starving in the world? God's asking the same thing. Did you know there's enough food produced every day to feed everyone on the planet 3,000 calories? God says, if that's true, why is my church not doing anything to meet the needs of the people around them? God wants to match the church with the needs around it. Um, several of you took the Old Testament reading challenge. We, we did this back in May, and I challenged you to read several sections in the Old Testament. And, and uh, so my, mine is called the Old Testament Survey. It's from version, And um, I just finished reading the uh, book of Judges. I may have to get the handheld mic here in a second. Um, <clears throat> we'll see if that, that improves any. Um, but I just finished reading Judges. Now, what happened in Judges was the Israelites, it said, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. If you do what's right in your own eyes, that leaves God out. God turns his back on you. He allows bad things to happen. So they got conquered over and over and over. This cycle happened. But then eventually the Israelites would go, wait, wait, wait. Wasn't there a time that God provided for us? And so they would cry out to God. God would hear their cries and he would send a deliverer every time. He called it a judge, but it was basically a deliverer. So when people cry out today, I believe God wants to send a deliverer, a person to meet their need. And he wants to help people in pain, but God needs people to help people. So here's what I need to know. I'm a person. Anyone out there not a person, right? Look at me. Look at me, everyone. Anyone not a person? Let me see your hand. Okay, then God wants to use you to meet the needs of someone in your community. 
The church is by definition the body of Christ. The body should be doing the same things that Jesus Christ did when he was on the planet. God is already working somewhere in your little world, preparing someone who has a need for the time when you get off your backside and decide to meet that need. God has designed you for a purpose inside and outside the church. So if he's preparing them when we're going to respond, how do we respond? How do we know where God is working? Well, there's four things. Number one on your listening guide, count the people in pain. And, and we're going to see several examples of this, but count the people in pain. How many of you love math? Okay, let's ask it the other way. How many of you hate math? Okay, let me, let me ask you something. Those of you who raised your hand that you hate math, is it safe to assume that you don't like to look at your paycheck to know whether you got the right amount during that pay period. You just ignore, oh, it doesn't matter. They short me a thousand bucks. No big deal. Anybody? So you like math when it's your paycheck, right? How many of you that raise your hand, you don't like math? How many of you just, it, it doesn't matter how many vacation days you have every year. How many of you say, I don't care. Two, zero. You like math when it goes with your vacation. How many of those who raise your hand, you don't like math? How many of you, when you're on a diet, how many of you, just, it doesn't matter how much weight I lose. Nobody pays attention to that stuff, right? So the idea is we like math, but just in the right areas. Well, did you know God likes math too? God counts. God uses math to measure how much love is going on. Let me give you an example. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How many sons did God have? One. He gave his son to help other people. And his son was a counter. Let me give you some examples. Um, Jesus said one day a man had a hundred sheep and he lost one and he left the 99 so he could go find the one. He wanted to demonstrate how much he loved even one person. Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You'll know this denial is complete when the rooster crows twice. The Pharisees kept asking for a sign. They're saying, if you're really from God, Jesus, then give us a sign. And Jesus said, you look for a sign, no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah who was in the belly of a great fish for three days. Jesus used numbers all the time. And I want to show you an example from Luke chapter 17, verse 11. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance. How many lepers? Not nine. Not 11, 10, right? How many did he meet? 10, you're confused. What? He said so many numbers. How many lepers did Jesus meet? 10, there we go. How many toes do you have? How many fingers do you have? Count your thumbs. Because I know some of you go, eight fingers, two, right? How many teeth do you have? I don't know either, more than 10. Okay, so that's the whole thing, is he's counting here. And the reason that they stood at a distance was because leprosy at that time was a highly contagious disease. You had to be a certain distance from other people. You had to be at least six feet away, but if the wind was blowing, you had to be 30 feet away, and you had to stand back and you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, because people knew that you were highly contagious and they would run away from you. And Jesus was this unbelievable person who would meet needs. Another occasion, he meets some other lepers, and he walks up and touches them. That was unheard of. He touched the untouchable. He loved the unlovable. He healed the unhealable. In this situation, they're standing far off and they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. And then then I like this. One of them, how many of them? One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. 
He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he'd done. This man was a Samaritan. Another Samaritan? Are you kidding me? We talked about last week, you know, Jesus made the Samaritan the despised person, the hero of the story. And, and then in this situation, this, this foreigner comes back to thank God. Are you kidding me? How many said thank you to God? Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus was very specific about how many people he healed. He was very specific about how many came back to say thank you. He counted, which means he paid attention, which means he noticed the people around him. So let me ask you some questions about the people around you. Do you know how many people are suicidal in Palestine or in Anderson County? Do you know how many divorces are in our county? How many alcoholics? How many homeless people? How many people in nursing homes? Here's the thing, all of this information is easily knowable, but we just don't care or we don't notice. God in heaven is hearing the cries of every one of these people in these situations and he's going, if only my people would begin to meet some needs outside, if they would just go and help them. You see, when you drive to work, when you drive to church, everywhere you go, you are surrounded by people in pain. People cry out to God and God is saying, if only I could get my people to wake up see the pain, and do something about it. So the first thing we got to do is we got to notice. we got to count the people in pain. Second thing we got to do is walk the land. Jesus walked everywhere. Now, that's because he didn't have the internal combustion engine, but I think he still would have walked a lot of places. He could have sat in a synagogue and said, come to me. He could have sat on the mountain and said, come to me. But he went to the temple. He went to the synagogue. He went to his, his enemies' houses. And there's even one time we're going to read about in a minute where Jesus goes to the tombs and he meets a demon-possessed man. Jesus put his body on location, on site. Too many Christians go to church and then, then we're done as a Christian until next Sunday. In the Old Testament, what they would do to claim land is they would walk. They would physically stand on the land. And right before they went into the promised land, Moses told the Israelites this. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. So what they would do, the way they claimed the land, they would go and they would stand on it. And, and then they would say, I want to buy this land, so I'm going to buy Chad's land. He agrees to, to sell me his land. So this is what we would do in the Old Testament. They didn't have a deed of trust, so I would say, Chad, will you sell me your land? You say, yes. Take off your shoe. All right, so I would say, here's my shoe. I'd shake your hand. Here's my shoe. This signifies, all of y'all are witnesses, and say, we are witnesses. That's how they do it at the city gate. So you're witnesses that Chad just sold me his land for zero dollars, right? I'm, I'm kidding. So people would say, oh, you didn't, really sell, you didn't really buy Chad's land. Yes, I did. I got his shoe to prove it. And he's carrying a nice crock around to show you that he's done business with Doug. Y'all like my new crocs, by the way? with the orange. So that's how they would do business. They would claim the land by walking on it. And uh, it was an official transaction. What I'm trying to tell you is there's too many places in our society where the demons have a stronghold. Christ followers don't even bother to go there. And the demons are saying, this is my house. Don't come here. And we're like, okay. And, and see, demons are not afraid of Christians who casually date the bride of Christ. They see you coming by and they just kind of laugh and go, go on, go on. This is my house. You can't come in here. Demons know whether you're a Christ follower. Demons know the spiritual forces of evil know whether you're a strong Christ follower or a weak Christ follower. How I know that is because every time Jesus showed up and he encountered a demon-possessed person, he didn't have to announce who he was. He didn't have to say, I'm Jesus. 
Because the demon-possessed person would cry out, You're the Son of God! He would recognize him immediately. And in Mark chapter 5, we're told that Jesus and his disciples get in a boat. They go across the, the Sea of Galilee. They go to a land called the Gadarenes, the land of the Gadarenes. And a man from the tombs, from the cemetery, comes running out and bows before Jesus. And what's interesting to me is that the demons even bowed to acknowledge a higher authority. This is a form of worship. The demons worship Jesus, but they tell you not to worship Jesus. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Their, their strategy is just full of lies. Look what it says in Mark 5, starting in verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. I was reading through this early this morning, and it reminded me of another story. <clears throat> Because the demons knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And in another story in the New Testament, um, Paul had been to Ephesus and he was doing all kinds of miracles, healing people. People were getting saved, giving their lives to Christ, changing everything. And so there was a Jewish priest in that town named Sceva and he had seven sons. And the seven sons of Sceva began to see what Paul did. And so they started going to demon-possessed people and they'll say, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Well, they went to this one demon-possessed guy. And, and no kidding, you can, ch- you can check it out in... in uh, Acts 19, 14 and following, the demon says, I know Jesus, and I've heard about Paul. Who are you? And then the Bible says that he beats all seven sons, and they run out of the house bloody and naked. And it says that everyone in Ephesus and the surrounding country heard about the power of this Jesus Christ that even the demons are subject to. So what I'm trying to tell you is, if you are a Christ follower, the Bible says you have the same spirit, the same authority residing in you. If you go anywhere in the name of the king of kings, the demons will recognize that you are representing him. So when you drive by these places, the demons are harassing people, whether it be a nursing home, strip clubs, bars, whatever. The demons say, just keep on going, keep on going to church, because if all you're doing is going to church, you are no threat to our authority. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop the car. Get out and walk. Now, if you're a dude, you are not called by God to go walking into a strip club. Now, I don't care if if you're in the parking lot, if you're with your wife. But some guys are going, oh, I'm called of God to go in there and I'm going to exercise the demons. You know, That's that's a Jim Carrey movie. What is that? Ace Ventura? Yeah, Ace Ventura. No, you're not called to go in there. Let your wife go in there with some of her buddies and they can minister to them. But if all you do is sit in the church, if you don't go, the demons aren't worried about you at all. All they're going to do is keep doing what they do. They're going to harass people. They're going to oppress people. They're going to lie to people. They hate people because people are made in the image of God. They hate that image, so they want to destroy your life. So you come to church, awesome! We want you to come to church every week. But coming to church is not enough. Christ followers are supposed to do the things Jesus did. Did you know that's how they got the name Christians? They were running around acting just like Jesus. And the people are going, they remind me of Jesus. And so they call them Christians, which meant little Christs. It was an insult. Not to the people they were calling little Christ, but that's the worst thing they could think of to hurl at you. You you little Christ, how dare you act like Jesus? I want to be worthy of that name. So if you're not going to act like a little Christ, please don't tell anyone you're a Christian because you're hurting the kingdom. 
So I better count the people that are in pain. I better start walking the land, putting myself in place, in in physical locations where the enemy is doing harm. And then third, I need to ask. This is real simple. Ask, what do you need? How can I help you? This is exactly what Jesus did. Look at Mark 10, 51. How can I help you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. This is the story of blind Bartimaeus. He's been crying out, oh, it's Jesus, Jesus, have mercy, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus comes over and he says, what do you want? He said, I want to see. Jesus heals him right there. What I'm telling you is you go places every day. Why not start saying to people there, I come here every day. And, and you may not know this, but I'm a Christ follower. And I just want to know, can I pray for you? Is there anything that you want me to pray for? Because I believe in this God that has unlimited power. Would it be okay if I ask him to help you with some of your situations? Some of you are freaked out about that. You go, I don't talk like that. I had a girl in my youth group one time. I was telling them how I'd, how I'd go to people and how i ask them questions. And she goes, why don't you give us some real questions? Nobody talks like that. I said, I do. So you, you just translate it for yourself. Figure out. You say, I believe in God. Can I pray for you? And you know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you. You start asking people that question. At first, they may say no, but here's what's going to happen. Someday, you're going to walk in, and they're going to have this look on their face. And you're going to say, what's wrong? They're going to say, my mom's sick and in the hospital. My dad has cancer. I'm going through a divorce. They're going to start opening up and, and pour out their heart to you. And right then, you've just been hand-delivered a ministry by God the Father. And you say, I got you back. I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. I'll do whatever I need to help you. And you have a friend for life. Now, you, you've got this ministry outside the church. You just simply ask people, what can I do? How can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do to help you? But let me tell you something else. You've got two ministries. One outside the church. You also have a ministry inside the church. You ask the same question. How can I help you? And I hear this all the time. People say, well, that church, that church just doesn't have a ministry for me. Here, here is... Here's the plain truth. If our church doesn't have a ministry where you can serve, that's not my problem. You're supposed to get off your sanctified butt and build one. Right? That's that's what I read in the scripture. You build one because you're gifted by God. And that's going to come up in just a couple of weeks. We're going to study the spiritual gifts in the, in the month of September. We're going to help you understand that every Christ follower has at least one gift. And you're supposed to be using that gift to build up the kingdom of God. If we don't have a ministry, it's up to you to start something in that area. But that's coming up in a couple of weeks. So you ask, what do we need? And people are going to open up to you. So we better count the people who are in pain. We better walk the land. We better ask people, what can I do? What do you need? How can I help? And then fourth, you better obey. Because obeying God according to God means loving God. I want you to watch this video. It's called Lord, Lord, that kind of emphasizes this point. Laura. Hey, Lord. So how did it go with Pat? Did you talk to her? Oh, well, Lord, not exactly. Did you forgive her? Well, Lord, I mean, I was just thinking, like, why should I forgive her? Because I asked you to. Well, yeah, I know you did, Lord, but why? We shouldn't have to know why, just that I asked you to do it. Oh, that doesn't make any sense, Lord. I mean, you don't understand the situation. Kathleen has an attitude problem. Laura, you believe that I know what is best for you and for Kat? Well, yeah, Lord. Then you'll do this. But, Lord... This is no different than when I've asked you to do anything else. Yes, this is, Lord. This is way different. When I asked you to quit your job, you quit. 
Well, of course, Lord, but I didn't like my job, so I was happy to leave, you know? I mean, this is way different. Okay, Lord, you know what? I've got an idea. How about we give it a week and I'll pray about it? Uh, I'll give you my answer now. Uh, but, Lord... Look, Kat's coming by here very soon. She's coming okay? by here? Well, yes. let's go. Now's your no, chance to talk to no, her. I want you to forgive Lord, her. Lord, you don't understand. Hey, Laura, hey, it's been hi. like two weeks wow. since we've had coffee. Yeah. Oh, it has. We should totally get together this week. Oh, wow, I can't do that. I am so busy. Oh, yeah. Well, how about next week? Well, you know, actually, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Oh, well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's great. Uh-huh. All right. Um, I guess I'll just um, see you later then. Bye. Lord, did you hear that attitude? I thought you were going to forgive her. I thought you said we could wait a week, Lord. No, you said that. Oh, okay, Lord, you're being unreasonable, okay? Why don't you just go talk to Kathleen and have her come to me and ask for my forgiveness? Laura, you need to obey. I want you to forgive Kat. But Lord... Why do you keep calling me Lord? You won't even do what I ask. Why do you keep calling me Lord and you don't do what I ask you to do? 1 John 5, 3 says, To love God is to obey God. God has commanded you to love your neighbor. He's commanded you to do the work of ministry. Doing the work of ministry does not go, mean go to church. Yay, we're glad you're here. We want you to come. This is not the play. Football season is upon us, right? I see all these Facebook posts. Football, woo! It's preseason. I can't stand preseason football. I don't care what team it is. I cannot stand preseason football because it doesn't matter. But some of you are crazy. So anyway, you love no matter what. You like it. So football season is coming upon us. Now, I've been to football games. I've been to Jerry World. I've been to all different places. seen Baylor play and Texas play and Oklahoma play and A&M play. I've seen all these different places I've, I've been. And what I noticed is nobody goes and cheers for the huddle. Woo! We're pretty bored during the huddle, right? We want to see the play. In fact, I love watching football games now with DVR because that little 30-second thing, it's perfect. As soon as they blow the whistle, boom, you're, you're the next one. I don't have to watch the huddle. I get to see all the good stuff. This is the huddle. This isn't, this isn't the play. We come together and we sing worship songs and we pray. We're going to celebrate baptism in just a few minutes. We celebrate new lives. This is where we come in the huddle. But when we dismiss here, the service begins. Do you understand the difference? I, uh, I read this story and then I went and I found it on YouTube. It's a story about a seven-year-old cancer survivor. The, the uh, Nebraska football team kind of adopted this little boy, and they invited him to the red-white scrimmage game. Watch what happens. He's wearing the number 22, guys. It is Jack Hoffman of Team Jack coming out on the field right now. There's fourth down and short. Jack Hoffman has been adopted really by this football team. A young man who has battled brain cancer is on the field right now for the Huskers. One more snap for Taylor Martinez, too, who will hand it off to Jack. So Taylor gets the shotgun set, gives it to Jack. Here he goes. He's got blockers out in front. 
that make you smile it was a conspiracy the offense and the defense were in on it to help this little guy succeed what I want you to realize is God has a conspiracy that all of us are supposed to be in on he's given you his word which gives you guidance He's given you the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to face anything. He's given you comfort and love and peace. And we're supposed to be in this conspiracy of sharing it with everyone we meet. And when the church gets it right, you won't be able to keep people out. So God wants you, he wants to use you in a very specific way in a specific person's life to make a difference for all eternity. And that's not my opinion. That's a fact. So we want to encourage you to do something. Take this, uh, this Talk It Over series and, and think about that. But I just want you, before we're baptized, before we do a baptism, I want you to close your eyes, and I'm just going to give you a few seconds. I want you to think about these questions. Who could I help? What neighbor... What could I do to help my neighborhood? I just want you to think about that. Who could I help? What could I do in the next few weeks to show the love of Christ, to show that I love my neighborhood? Just think about that for a second. Father, help us realize that it's not the thought that counts when it comes to loving my neighbor and loving my neighborhood as myself. Only actions demonstrate your love. Only obedience shows you that we love you. So God, raise up a generation of obedient Christ followers at New Life so that we can impact your kingdom and our city for as long as there's a place called new life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.